Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's April 12, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our study on the book of First and Second Thessalonians, and today specifically, we'll be coming to you from First Thessalonians chapter three, verses one through thirteen. And here, Paul is longing for his brothers and sisters at the church of Thessalonica. He knows that they have suffered for the sake of Christ. He knows that opposition has come against them, and he is hoping that they will have endurance-producing faith. He's praying for them to have endurance-producing faith. He's hoping that when he comes to them, he will find that they still are holding fast to the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, brother and sister, in this current culture and this current climate that we now live in, it is so important that we too have endurance producing faith, faith that helps us to endure and to persevere, faith that keeps us true to the gospel of Christ Jesus. So much in this world would have us compromise. So much in this world would have us led astray. So much in this world would have us take our eyes off Jesus. But brothers and sisters, as we will see from what we see here in 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 13, not only should we persevere and have faith that leads us to persevere, but we also must cultivate those that in others, in our children, in, in those that in our neighborhood, in those in our communities, those in our church, and those around the world. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that you may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. You see, beloved, the theme of this epistle rings throughout every chapter and every verse. Paul is reminding the Thessalonian church that the return of Christ was promised and certain, but they must persevere. Paul loves this church and has great fondness for them, but he is also aware of the imminent temptation, the persecution, and the trials that daily await them. 
when Paul first saw the, the man from Macedonia and he had his calling to, to leave uh, the, the, the field that he was in and to move from the Roman Empire into Macedonia. He, he sees this move, but we also see that when he goes to Thessalonica, he meets instant persecution and instant suffering. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, record that for us when it says, Now when they, being Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous And taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Paul was certain of the call he received in Acts 16 from the man in Macedonia that he was to be ministering among the cities and regions of Macedonia. And through this ministry, much fruit would come for the sake of the gospel. However, as is usually the case, where you see fruit and a movement of the Spirit, you also see Satan desperately counterattacking believers in hopes of discouraging them, tempting them to turn away, and trying to make their witness ineffective. Paul writes three letters to the churches in Macedonia, Philippians and First and Second Thessalonians, and they both talk about suffering and persevering. Paul understood that ministry was rewarding and yet heartbreaking. Brothers and sisters, ministry can be hard and difficult, especially when we see those whom we have invested in tempted, tried, and troubled. We may see a child warring against their adoptive or foster family. We may see a family who has graduated a a family reunification program only to return to addiction or trouble. We may see birth mother return to the same people who have led her astray. It's heartbreaking to see families contemplating, dissolving, or disrupting their adoptions. Ministry can be rewarding, but it can also be exhausting. And Paul felt such deep affection for the church at Thessalonica. He had spent so much of his time in Macedonia. He had invested time, energy, and resources to see the gospel flourish among the Macedonians, and specifically among the Thessalonians. The word comes to Paul that additional affliction, temptations, and trials have beset upon and entered into the church. Paul is away and he feels helpless. Paul knows the progression of the new believer. He agrees with what Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2-3, through 3, that like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in the salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Paul sends Timothy to check on this baby-believing flock and to encourage them. He knows that they are growing in their faith and they've not yet made it to full maturity. 
And through this care and concern he has for the church at Thessalonica, Paul shows us three things that we can model in our ministry to others as they face trials and temptations. Ultimately, Paul's hope and aim is that through Christ, these brothers and sisters will have enduring faith produced in them. This is the prayer of our ministry as well, that those we minister to would have enduring faith, faith that perseveres in the midst of suffering. Following Paul's example, how then can we care for others as they face trials and temptation and see Christ produce enduring faith? Three ways. The first is the presence of selfless love. We see in verses 1 through 5 and verse 10 that Paul was worried that his labor would be in vain. Brothers and sisters, do you ever worry the same thing? When we love others selflessly, their needs, their wants, and their struggles become our own. Paul has loved selflessly in three quick ways. First, he had been physically present with the people. Look again at, at, second, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. When those we have poured out ourselves in ministry and service for are hurting, our desire is to be present. Let's always seek to be personally and physically involved with love and compassion to those who are struggling. But secondly, Paul had such an abiding passion to see those whom he ministered to have abounding faith. Paul clearly had a great passion to build up the Thessalonians' faith. According to verse 2, this was the main reason why he sent Timothy when he could not go to them himself. Timothy was sent for the specific purpose of strengthening their faith. They had faced difficult challenges since their conversion. Their faith was just like a building that had been blasted by a tornado. It needs, to be in re- it needs to be reinforced. It needs to be buttressed to face even stronger winds that may soon come. But then Paul also third prayed for these believers while faithfully entrusting them to the Lord. We see in verses 9 through 13 that Paul entrusts them back to the Lord. He trusts that the Lord will work through this church. But the second example we see Paul model in ministry to others as they face trials and tribulations was that second, he disciples others to expect trials and temptation. We see in verses six through nine that it's obvious that he had discipled this church to expect that there would be trials, that there would be temptation. Paul had seen firsthand the tribulations, the evil spiritual forces, and now he was separated from those he longed to nurture. However, we see from this passage that Paul had discipled them to live in expectation of these trials and tribulation. Verses 7 through 8 says, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul says to another church, the church at Rome, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice. What? Rejoice in sufferings. 
Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Beloved, we are lying to ourselves and misleading others if we are not expecting trials and temptation. We must be rooting ourselves in the hope of God's word and preparing others to anchor themselves in the word and prayer in abundant anticipation of character, hope, and endurance producing trials. In this life, there will be trouble. But take heart, beloved, our Lord Jesus has overcome the world. The third example we see from Paul that he models in ministry to others as they face trials and tribulation was that ultimately Paul trusted others to the sanctifying work of the Lord. Ultimately, Paul entrusted those whom he loved and served to the Lord. Paul knew that his presence and passion could never surpass the sanctifying power of the Lord at work in his people. Philippians chapter 1, 6 through 11, Paul says this to another church in Macedonia. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. There are three quick things we see from this passage that the Lord has done, and it is doing for the believers at Thessalonica. First, the Lord was directing their path. Verse 11 says that the Lord directs our way to you. Paul had faith that he would go back and that the Lord would direct him to these brothers and sisters to persevere. Four years later, we see recorded in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, Paul did indeed return during his third missionary journey. But second, the Lord is developing the love and passion of his people. In verse 12, we see that the Lord will make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. As we entrust others to the sanctifying love of the Lord, we come to see the Lord cultivating his children's love and passion for him. We must entrust others to the irresistible love of the Lord Jesus Christ. But third, the Lord determines the future. We see in verse 13 that the Lord is the one who establishes hearts and prepares them for his glorious return. The Lord holds the future and the whole world in his hands. He is so sovereignly in control. Ultimately, as hard as it, as it is, once we have had the presence of self-love in our ministry and discipled those we minister to to expect trials and temptations, then we must trust the Lord that he will direct their path, develop their love and passion for him, and ultimately determine their future. Ministry is rewarding and hard, but ultimately we trust the Lord to fully develop persevering faith in those for whom we minister to. And so if you're an adoptive parent today, if you're a foster parent today, if you're someone who is mentoring those who are vulnerable today, if you're even someone who has biological children that you're trying to disciple in the way that they should go, take heart. 
Oh, take heart. We must demonstrate selfless love. We must prepare them for trials and temptation, but ultimately we must trust them to the Lord. So in closing, we will all face affliction, temptation, and suffering. This passage shows us four ways our faith and the faith of others can be strengthened during affliction, temptation, and suffering. So how can our faith and the faith of others be strengthened during affliction, temptation, and suffering? First, we must devote ourselves to prayer. Verses 9 through 10 show us that Paul had devoted himself to prayer. We see in verse 9 that at the good report, Paul is returning thanks for the answered prayer of the Lord. He had been earnestly praying for them. This is fervent prayer, not a passing acknowledgement of need, but a wrestling in God for the sake of the church. James describes this type of prayer as the type that Elijah has. James chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. When we devote ourselves to prayer, there's effective power. So let us bear one another's burdens in prayer. Let's wrestle with our own hearts that we will follow the Lord, and let's pray that our brothers and sisters would endure through suffering. When we go through pain, suffering and temptation. It can either destroy us or it can produce enduring faith that will carry us to take the gospel to the nations. The second way our faith and the faith of others can be strengthened during affliction, temptation, and suffering is that we meditate, memorize, and study God's word in community. Verse 11 shows us again that God is supplying what is lacking in faith. God does that through his word, being held high in biblical community. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The psalmist says at the very beginning of the book of Psalm, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of scoffers, nor sits in the seat of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Hungering for God's word develops a greater understanding and knowledge of God. Knowing the word of God more thoroughly gives us a fuller and greater revelation of God himself. Studying the Bible bolsters our faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The better we know God, the easier we will find it to trust him. It's also difficult to trust a stranger. But if we have a close friend who has always stood by us in our times of need, who always keeps their word, who has promised to stand by us through thick and thin, we find it easy to trust. God is that friend who pursues us through his word, through each book, through each chapter, through each page, through each verse, and through each word of the Bible. The Bible's full of stories of men and women who've put their faith and trust in God and were delivered. Reading these true accounts in God's words will bolster our faith. When we see Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego pass through the fire and not be singed 
or Esther unexpectedly be used to save her people amidst difficult odds, we begin to see God's strong hand strengthening us and the ones we are ministering to. In Hebrews, we read of the men of faith who, through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, and quenched the violence of fire. Oh, beloved, there is strength in the word of our God. But the third way our faith and the faith of others can be strengthened during affliction, temptation, and suffering is that we live in loving community, forgiving one another. The Lord in verse 12 is allowing our love to abound for one another. As we see in God's word, that can only be done in a spirit of absolute forgiveness. Paul says to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if One has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, Jesus says to leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Faith is strengthened in communities where we love one another and forgive quicker than we are offended. Can that be said of us, that we forgive quicker than we are offended? Beloved, we live, work, and minister to sinners. Sinners sin. We must have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. If our Lord Jesus Christ, the author, maker, and sustainer of the universe, is quick to forgive, then so should we be. Beloved, bitterness, resentment, and meaningless quarrels will separate us from the love of God. It will separate us from effective ministry, and it will separate us from enduring faith. So the fourth and final way our faith and the faith of others can be strengthened during affliction, temptation, and suffering is that we must be quick to confess and repent of our sin. Verse 13 says that the Lord will establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. This means we must not only forgive others, but confess and repent from our own sin. As we already saw in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins what one to another and pray for one another. Powerful prayer comes through those who are quick to confess and repent and ask for forgiveness. That's why in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What type of faithful and persevering community would we be if we confessed and repented quickly and equally immediately forgave one another? Beloved, there is a coming kingdom, and we must not get caught up in pettiness or the things of this world, but we must be preparing ourselves for the coming of the Lord and making that coming known to those who are perishing. And so we end today with the words that Paul told to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verses 4 through 10. 
No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a, chains as a criminal. But the Lord of, word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we're praying for our counseling ministry. We're praying that the Lord will work in the hearts of parents and help keep them focused on the eternal value of adoption and to see the lens of their struggle through the lens of the gospel. We're praying that children will find connection with their families, but not just their families, but ultimately with the Lord. We're praying for our team as, as they go through training and uh, for the groups that they have. And we're praying for these families to find refreshment. And we're praying for the development of this counseling program. And then we continue to expand and help as many families as possible. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that you would work in the hearts of parents, that you would keep them focused on the eternal value of adoption, that they would see their struggles truly through the lens of the gospel. Father, we pray that children will find connection with their families and ultimately with you. Lord, we pray for our, our counselors, that they would invest in training Lord, we pray that, that God would let, that you would lay the, the need and the importance of these experiences on their hearts and provide a way for them to attend. Lord, we pray for our approach in serving families. It would be honoring to you and that would guide people towards your word, towards you and towards truth. Father, we pray for these teen groups that we have, that we will prepare well and that you will guide us in fostering growth in the teens and the families that participate. Father, for each team that will attend the summer workshop, we pray that you will begin working in their hearts and the hearts of their families. Father, we pray that families would find moments of rest and refreshment as they go throughout their days and weeks. We pray for soft hearts for all members of families, that they can see each other more clearly rather than, than through the eyes of anger or hurt. And that, Lord, you will deepen relationships both with you, but also within families. Lord, we pray that our therapists would have clarity in how to approach and best help each family. And Lord, we just praise you for the growing team that we have of therapists here at Lifeline. God, we pray for the development of our counseling program, that you will lead us and continue to develop a business model that's sustainable and accessible to families who need healing. We pray for the development of adoption-competent counseling resources in underserved areas. We praise you for the families you've brought to the counseling department and the work that you've accomplished in each so far. We thank you for their courage and faithfulness in committing to do hard things. And we pray that you would strengthen them as their journey continues and their work deepens. We're just so grateful, Lord, for the growth that you've given in the counseling department over the past year and for the exciting opportunities currently in the works and that lay ahead. And Lord, we give this all to you for your glory and for your gospel. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. 
follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Mm-hmm.